they are right. This is Tim Crispin. You're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brennan Kelly. Brennan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I'm okay. Um, I don't know if it says something about um, the quality of for-profit art that's being made out there or my lack of um, mental stability, but I just watched a Coke commercial today and it made me burst into tears. Oh, all right. Getting into that phase. It was like the Tiaka Watiti or however you say that guy's name. I've, mm-hmm. I've never heard anyone say it. I've only seen it written down. Um, yeah. Uh, he directed it. And it's like two and a half minutes. And it's like, it just, I kind of even knew where it was going. And it still like really hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I don't think I've ever burst into tears before, you know, uh, like I've gotten sadder and sadder and sadder and then eventually cried, but it was mm-hmm. never like, boom, you're weeping. And let me tell you something, Tim. <laughs> boom, weeping. Boom, weeping. Boom, boom, weeping. <laughs> That's why they call him Boom, Weeping Kelly. And this is our podcast, Road to the Skeleton Coast, where each week we talk about um, a record that you played on. I didn't. You never told me you were in Jawbreaker. Well, I haven't been in a long time, but we did used to have sex. So I've been in, I've been in Jawbreaker. <laughs> you might notice listening to this podcast. Hey, this is uh, this is a little bit different. What we got going on here? Well, that's right, baby. We got a new president, and we got a new format. For this podcast, we're going to just start talking about anything. It's something that we've done on our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. Talked about and out come the wolves over there. Last week, we talked about the honor systems, single file, and those conversations were a lot of fun. And this was kind of the plan was to uh, phase into it. And uh, we just decided, hey, why not? Let's start. And let's start with a bang, baby, unfun. Yeah. And I just want to mention a couple things really quickly up front. Um, number one, we talked about Outcome the Wolves over there. I don't remember that. I still don't have access to the Patreon page. So uh, I, I've never heard any of it. But uh, number two, um, this, since it's going to be everybody's favorite record of 2021, there is still going to be a Keep Walking Pal episode, so do not fret. Mm-hmm. Tim just can't bear to bring himself to listen to it um, <laughs> again. But uh, it, it will it will exist. Well, it, you know, if I have to do it myself, uh, like Bill Burr style, just ranting in my garage at 6.30 in the morning, that's fine. Um, and then um, the third thing is what makes this significant is that, like, <laughs> I think we've done a lot of the stuff where it's like the albums that I've played on, but like to use a very prescient example on fun is about as important to me. And like the story of like what I've ended up doing as any of these fucking records that I've been a part of, you know, I mean, beyond the skeleton coast, which obviously is sort of up to now the culmination of what uh, my influences have been. A lot of those being the records I've played on. 
this is one of the very first records that really uh, moved the needle for me in such a way. So as much as it's maybe a... Not exactly what you kind of expect. Uh, what do you expect, man? We're running out of records here, and uh, <laughs> shit's um, <laughs> shit's shit's partner, right, Tim? Am, am I talking out of my oh, ass? No way. I mean, if we're talking Road to the Skeleton Coast, these are your training wheels, buddy boy. This is your BMX bicycle. Goddamn right. Yeah. Um. So we're. Like Brandon said, we are going to continue to uh, work our way through the catalog over on Patreon. We're not doing that in a way of uh, just like wanting to put things behind a paywall, but like like the man mentioned, we're running out of records. So we're going to do Q&A stuff over there. But also, speaking of Patreon, right here. The heroes and gyros at Club Sandwich, from this point forward, are going to be in charge of determining which record we talk about on next week's show. Brendan, has there ever been a better time to pledge to our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich? You know, Tim, if there has, it could have been like in the ancient gilded marble halls of the Roman Empire, or it could have been, you know, amongst the um, the hanging gardens as Cleopatra supped, um, you know, while looking wistfully at her, um, I guess also Roman, um, erstwhile flame, <laughs> Mark Anthony, but... Uh, Or is that the guy from Van Halen? No, no Anthony uh, Kiedis. <laughs> Anthony Kiedis is from uh, yeah. uh, Anthony and Cleopatra. Yeah, And yeah. Elizabeth Taylor was in Van Halen. That's right. She, you know, she was drinking iced tea out of those Jack Daniels bottles the whole time. Um, <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any, anywho. Um, that, so what I'm saying is there might have been a better time. But now is right up there. And... The the fortunate thing is now the apparatus exists for you to actually do that, which um, it makes it probably a lot easier than back then. So at the end of today's proceedings, we will let you know what records are going to go up and into the poll as we send it over to what I like to call the toaster which is where the, the, the votes are, are tabulated. And, uh, and then we get a record that rolls on out. Brendan, roll. You following? Yeah, I mean, kind of. But, I, like, you don't put rolls in a toaster. But, I, I mean, I see, see what you're going for. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about what, what the vision, you know, is what so I like to say. You're, it's just bread-based. For now. Heavy, heavy, heavy on carbs. Yes. Okay. Um, terrific. Terrific. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Looking forward to it. Another. I mean, this is this is nice because now it's it's fair game. We could talk about anything. And, geez, Louise, let's start off chapter two, Road to the Skeleton Coast, on Fun by Jawbreaker. This is a record that. You chose. 
It is. And you told me this story when we talked on Better Yet, which, sidebar, really quick. I was thinking about this. The episode of Better Yet that uh, that we did when I, when I posted that episode, uh, that was a week after uh, Donald Trump got elected president. And uh, I, I, I like that idea that we're uh, moving on. Here we are, a week after he got unelected president. It's terrific. It's terrific. You told me the story of going in to Reckless Records. That is correct. Um, so I, I grew up um, around the corner from Reckless Records on Broadway. So right now it's on the west side of the street. It used to be on the east side of the street, um, right by the store. I believe I've told you about it was like ostensibly a shoe repair place, but the picture in the picture window was just like huge veiny boner that was like wrapped in leather straps um you know and i was like 10 walking around with my mom going to like the movie theater on the corner and she'd be like i was like that doesn't look like shoes and she's like ah yeah you know the neighborhood is it's full of full of full of boys that are into you know this kind of thing but you know you call it shoe repair i was like oh great Probably had no effect at all on like, my worldview, uh, <laughs> but but uh, but um, so I, when I was young, I didn't have like a dick ton of uh, close friends. I mean, I, I did have some friends, um, but I spent a lot of time by myself, and um, I spent a lot of time. With my, like, sort of allowance money, which, uh, you know, when you have uh, no bad habits, it just piles up, right? And Mm -hmm. um, so I went around the corner to Reckless Records one day um, just to see what was up. And it was crazy. It was, like, what they would do is they'd open every, like, cassette and they'd open every CD and they'd put just the sleeve of it inside uh like another like plastic sleeve and that's what you'd look at so they could have more inventory on the floor without the worry of theft right Mm -hmm. and um and i would just flip through these i mean i would grab like a stack of them and just see like what appealed to me you know people say things like don't judge a book by its cover but you're like 11 year old kid in like a record store and you're like, I've never heard of any of these bands. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is. Uh, you, you judge the books by their covers. Right. And, uh, and it paid off for me in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of times. Um, but one time I was in there and, uh, I was a little older at this point. I think I was like probably 12, maybe even 13. And, um, but this was still like my sort of like twice a day ritual, uh-huh. Or twice a twice a week ritual rather. Um that I would go to Reckless and just look for stuff. And um there's music playing over the PA system there. And I was like, What is this? And the dude was like, you know, the cool guy that I think probably tolerated me because I was in there all the time, but like definitely still I felt like he hated my guts. Mm-hmm. It was like this is Jawbreaker. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Is that, I like the sound of this. Is this record here? He goes, this record doesn't come out until Tuesday. 
But they're playing here day after tomorrow, if you want to come. And I was like, fuck yeah, I want, you know. So I've never really Uh been to a concert before. Um, Mm -hmm. So I went down and um, I I went to the Jawbreaker concert at Reckless Records. They set up in the back. First show I'd ever really seen. Um, Probably about 12 people there. Um, I mean, they... They were playing, I believe, Dirty Nellies that night or maybe the next night. Oh, R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, oh, is that out? I thought it was back. Uh, maybe. It's, well, I, I didn't Against live Me by just there. play there? I think Against Me just played there. Okay. I mean, I, anyway, I'm out I of mean, the city now. It's probably, probably done now thanks to this, this oh, metal and virus. Yeah, I'm confusing Dirty Nellies with um what was that place on Elston that uh fuck, it was on like Bar Rescue. The Abbey? Yeah. I saw the dwarves at the Abbey. That was pretty good. Um <laughs> but uh Dirty Nellies is in Palatine. Yeah, it's in Palatine. Yeah, yeah. And so they um so they played and there was not mm. a lot of people there. And it, it was really, really cool. And um, afterwards, I got to, like, go up and talk to him. I bought the unfun tape from them, like, mm-hmm. probably, like, the day or two before it came out. Um, the drummer gave me some stickers he had been making, and they were, like, the fucking shittiest, lamest stickers you've ever seen. <laughs> they were on, like... Um, what would you even like reflective like emergency colored tape mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. they were like bright red or bright yellow and it was like a child's drawing of like a cyclops and it had like a little like acronym that I can't remember what the acronym was but it was something like you know one cool cyclops you know it said like OCU or, uh-huh. or OCC on it you know like it was some shit like that, and then there's a few others. There's like a kind of like a gingerbread man looking dude. I, I I don't I don't know. I had all these stickers forever and ever, but uh, it was really cool, and especially because I'd been going to Reckless, and I always was like the young, alone person there that didn't really know what was going on, and mm-hmm. then to have this band come in that I thought sounded really neat, and like I liked the look of them, like they were all wearing like. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like pearl snap, like button up, like Western kind of shirts, you yeah. know, in a time when like punk rock was like full of like very other uh, looks, you know, again, no influence on me whatsoever. Uh, and can, uh, I, can I admit to something right yeah. here on this show, on this podcast? Okay. Um, I saw the Lawrence Arms play... At some point, 2007, I went out and bought myself three pearl button snap shirts the day after that show because somebody looked really cool in a (laughs) pearl button snap shirt, and his name was Brendan. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, it was like, but, but it is like, it is that like... That stuff is stuff is significant, man. 
dude, I was in my uh, 30s, at least close, when fucking caution came out, and I found myself drinking Jameson. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that stuff makes my stomach hurt, makes me throw mm-hmm. up. And it took me years to be like, wait a second. It's Jameson. <laughs> it's not good for me. Uh, yeah. I, I don't like it. But it's like, and that's hot water music. They're like my peers, you know? But it's like that kind uh-huh. of influence is like, is, is for real. And I mean, like, obviously, what I'm talking about had a big carryover effect to me for a long time. I wore those kinds of shirts, like, exclusively. And I don't know if I'd say it's all 100% because of uh, Jawbreaker, Reckless Records, and, you know, mm-hmm. like the early 90s or whatever the fuck it was, late 80s. I don't know, early 90s. Um, I bet it had to have been about 1990. Uh, it was the summer of uh, 89. Summer of 89. There you go. Fun came out. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that makes sense. I'd be about 12, 13 at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the day or a couple of days before it came out. So, um, but it was just really something that I felt like I was all of a sudden not a part of that would be too much, mm-hmm. but something that was actually welcoming where there was like this dude that was in this cool band who was like giving me stickers and stuff like that. And who, you know, had sold me the record himself, like while he was still like sweaty from the stage. And it was, I don't know, it was just like, uh, I mean, it's fucking obvious to say, but it's like the influence can't be overstated, you know, like it was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. And I feel like from what I've gathered about the members of that band too, Adam seems like the one that if, I w- if you're a 12 year old kid and you're talking to any one of those three, Adam's probably the one that's like gonna be the most like gracious and like sweet towards you. Not um, to say anything negative about yeah. Chris or Blake, but it just seems like Adam's got like kind of the uh, the smiling he, face. He does. Of the he does come across in, like public facingly. He's very kind. I don't know any of those guys at all, mm-hmm. so I, I can't say. Um, I mean, I have certain opinions, but they're all pretty baseless. So I can just only say that, yeah, he was really nice to me, mm-hmm. and um, that was that was it was cool. And um, so yeah, that was my first concert, and um, this record went on to have a great impact on me. Um, and it's a great record. I mean, it's. It just starts off so fucking cool that bass intro, like immediately, it's like oh cool, hooked. Yeah, that is one of the first uh, bass lines I ever learned when I like took bass lessons mm-hmm. after I'd taken guitar lessons, and then like my parents moved to the suburbs, so I was away from my guitar teacher, and I was like, well, I don't want to just like. take guitar lessons from somebody i know enough to like advance a guitar now mm-hmm. like i'm not which obviously <laughs> oops but uh you know um so i took a bass lesson and that was one of the first things that i learned how to play was want by jawbreaker and it is it is a great intro i remember when they played it um 
at that show, it really stood out as a kind of a jam. And obviously, and what's weird, I saw Jawbreaker probably like 11 or 12 times um, back in those days, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I had the advantage of getting in on the very bottom floor, mm-hmm. you know, just like accidentally. And um, I saw them. I want to say it was, this could be totally wrong. They, I know they played at Isabel's grand finale, which was um, the, uh, the dude from the Vindictives club attached to his record store, which was called the Dummy Room. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a very limited time affair. It was probably about, a, if I'm remembering back, I'd say it's probably about a 600 cap room, but I could be way off on that. Um, Where was the was Dummy right Room? By, it was right by, um, like Ogden and Grand, like um, where Twisted okay. Spoke yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like kind of right there, I believe. I mean, again, this has been a long time, but um, I saw Jawbreaker there once, and I think that was the show where um, he changed the chorus to "Want." So instead of going, I, 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 I want you, he went, what I want is what I want, and I want you. And meanwhile, everybody's just singing the actual chorus, and I'm like, uh-huh. I don't think you're going to get people into that. But then I also, only in like sort of hindsight, don't know if maybe he was doing a thing where like he knew the crowd would sing the one chorus mm-hmm. and so he was doing like sort of a second part yeah um i mean that's the benefit of the doubt shit but you know it's quite possible yeah or he just didn't want to do that thing anymore he was fucking done with it yeah but i mean like he, he wouldn't have to he could just fucking let the crowd go with it at that point because i mean they did but uh yeah this first song is terrific it's um you know it's just like that like sort of like spangly introduction with that with that bass line and then into the mm-hmm. it's like it's such a good transition that like almost shouldn't work but it really does you know um mm-hmm. it's kind of like um uh Like, God, I don't want to say anything negative, and this is just going to sound negative, even though it's not my intent at all. But it's almost like it's like trying to like rock really hard at that point, but it's already set such a pace that where it's just like, nope, we're on board for this. It's cool, you know. Like it's a, it's like almost like it's supposed to be a whiplash thing, but yeah, it can't because because like you said, that beginning is such a entrancing like opening part mm-hmm. is that like would there be a jawbreaker if they had sequenced this record differently yeah i mean that's that's a pretty great question because i think like there's so many fucking great songs on this record but really that's i'd say the only 
single i guess busy kind of works as a single i'm i think that they did a seven inch for busy but this is totally the track that like hooks everybody it's like you get their attention with something like this i feel like you you got you got them for at least the first side of that tape or record whatever people are listening on 100 percent, and it and it is just a great song and like it's funny this is also the first um album that I had ever heard where I was like I have no fucking idea what this guy's <laughs> like couldn't understand a fucking lick of it and um which was fascinating because like the way that I would sing along was like completely phonetic it's like mm-hmm. You know, I remember um, seeing this awesome video of, like, on MTV of people all over the world who were, like, really big fans of Skid Row. And then it was, like, these two girls from, like, Guatemala or something, and they're singing. They're just like, 18 and life shivado. Which, awesome. Like, that's that's so much better than anything that they ever did. But, uh you know, it was like that kind of shit where it's just like, but um, I know I told you to write it down, but since you told I told you that, I remembered it as well. <laughs> so there was an opportunity in the original tape to write away for the lyric sheet, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And it said, um, for a lyric sheet, just send us a letter that says like. Hey jerks, send me the lyrics, you know, and send an envelope or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was young, and I also like really, as I've said to you before, I don't really understand like nuance very well. Like if if it's not like being said directly to me, mm-hmm. I it like I will not. I will just take what you're saying at its word. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't believe Artie Lang was on heroin until he was like, well, I've been on heroin, you know, right. for example. Um, I just found out that, uh, you know, if you take the the top off of uh, off of like an ointment, you know, that there's yeah. a little pokey thing that you can use to. Yeah, for poking the yeah, fucking foil. I, I found yeah. that out last week. Yeah. Well, Why? now life hack. Yeah. You know, you can use those twist holders from bread to keep your cords um in order behind <laughs> your desk um <laughs> patreon.com uh, slash better sandwich <laughs> but uh so it was like yeah you know like hey jerk send me the lyrics or whatever and i got an envelope and i was like so afraid to even like put a piece of paper in it or whatever mm-hmm. besides my envelope so I wrote it on the flap of the envelope, like on the triangular flap, mm-hmm. verbatim what they wrote in 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 the thing. Uh-huh. Hey jerks, send me the lyrics. Uh, you, you know, like just out of like paralytic fear or whatever, <laughs> and um, and I sent it back and. Somewhere I still have it. I'm sure it's probably like some sort of collector's item. Um, 
I don't know where it is at all, but um, it was cool. You're talking about and the lyric sheet. The lyric sheet, yeah. yeah. It was about... What's well, about two feet by a foot, right? Mm-hmm. 24 by 12, maybe. Um, lyric sheet, and it was... It was cool. It was like had some pictures on it and stuff. And it really changed the way I understood this record a lot because I didn't understand it at all before. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, what's funny is that later on when I was in Slapstick, Matt Stamps was doing all the mail for Slapstick. Mm -hmm. I mean, as per his surname. (laughs) You know, how could he not? Um, and he'd be like, some people are so weird. They just write on, like, the triangular flap of the envelope. Uh-huh. And I was like, ah, it's weird, you know? <laughs> like, still nowhere near, like, enough distance between me and, like, my absolutely, like, sweaty, dick-in-hand self of just a few years before to like have any sort of uh, humorous self-awareness, you know, it was more like, mm. yeah. You're just like so, wondering if, uh, if you, if you gave it away by your reaction that, uh, he knows that you once did that and maybe to jawbreaker uh, even. Uh, well, maybe, maybe I, I just, I just more was like, well, it was, it was like everything with Matt Stamps. It was like, he was just so cool and everything he said. I was like, oh, yeah. That's how you navigate this being alive shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got it. And like, but until he said it, I like, I was like, oh, yeah, that is weird. That is <laughs> dumb. Yeah. Oh, uh, I like somehow thought I was like being like, Polite uh-huh. or in, inoffensive by like trying to like keep my correspondence out of. I don't know. It, it's just weird. Like it's more of like a weird psychological thing to me. But uh, I think about it more than you might expect. Uh, it, it really comes up in my head a lot <laughs> when I wrote for that lyric sheet. I yeah, I interrupted someone in uh, in like sixth grade. I still think about it. Oh, that shit happened. That shit is everywhere. Yeah, when you just like, you'll just be sitting there and you go, yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's because like you called your teacher mom or some shit, you know, or oh, like e- yeah. even mm-hmm. worse than that. I mean, that's, that's fine. Yeah, but there's other stuff that's, Um, I think that like, this also works as such a fucking great template. Want does works as such a template for like the best jawbreaker material just because like you said, like the movements are so fucking smooth. It goes so nicely from the verse to the pre-chorus and then you wait, you wait for that chorus. They go back into the intro, back into the verse, back into the pre-chorus and that like the IEIEIs, they're so unpleasant but also like fuck that is that is i think the under recognized thing 
is that it sounds like just absolute shit. Uh-huh. Like, ay, 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 ay. I mean, that sounds actually kind of a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but then like the sentiment is so there. The bass line is the hook. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets to the end, which is the, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I want you. <laughs> awesome. You know, it's just like, it really fucking, like, it builds an amazing um, uh, Hot Wheels track and it really brings the cars in at the end. You know, I've always really loved too that there's just this build towards the the three words and there, I want you. Nothing more, just I want you. Yeah, I mean, we can get into this at any time, but like, I was talking to my friend Ryan. For, well, yeah, fuck it. I don't care. Uh, I was talking to my friend Ryan from American Steel, um, and uh, mm-hmm. he was talking about how he read an interview with Blake where somebody compared him to, like, Keats or some shit like that. Uh-huh. And he was like, well, I don't think I'm quite on that level. <laughs> and Ryan was like, you're not quite on that level. You write fucking punk rock lyrics. I do that. It's fine. <laughs> okay? Like, and, and, you know, and I think that that... I obviously have a place in my heart for um, well-thought-out lyrics, and I think that Blake does have well-thought-out lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they're, and they're good. It's like, you know, if, I, if you compare something like Jawbreaker to a, a lot of things, it's head and shoulders up, above mm-hmm. uh, the sort of the standard – Right in terms of lyrics, um, I mean, mm-hmm. it's certainly no gutter mouth, but you know, it's like right, right there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but like, um, but yeah, it's like there is something that would like creep in in the later Jawbreaker albums that would be this like sort of like self importance and that is refreshingly absent, I think, on this record. Um, and even on Bivouac as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's really by the time it gets to 24-hour that it like starts to become a little like, check out what I'm doing. Yeah. Kind of vibe. And, and it's like, that's maybe for some people. For me, I like it better when it's just like, I'm just doing a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. then it happens to be awesome. That that to me like goes a lot farther, and and like yeah, the it's not even like winking. It's it's like it's just like a observe my pentameter kind of kind of vibe that like uh, gets right. I don't know, gets tired to me real fast. But you like it when I do it though, right? Like with the I, roll. I love it. Yeah. I love it when you when you speak in pentameter to me, yes. <laughs> Two things I wanna to touch on uh off of of what you uh were saying about Blake's 
lyrics. The first one is that I I get a kick out of the like when he gets into like sniffing his own farts territory. That's really when he starts to rep Jack Kerouac, which is like the lamest dude that you could be like, oh yeah, Kerouac. Yeah, right. I mean, well, I don't know. Like, I find a lot of things about Kerouac to be pretty um, fascinating. Like, I think that the fact that he wrote uh, on the road in one like meth out bender on a scroll is fucking cool. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's no um, uh, Thiongo writing um, whatever the one he wrote before, Wizard of the Crow is from a Zaire prison on toilet paper in a makeup pencil, but it's still pretty cool. Um, you know, and, uh, and like, um, I can't in good conscience motherfuck anybody from getting like cool influence anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. and, and like Kerouac, it's like Bukowski to me, like people that sit around and like, or Vonnegut, people sit around and besmirch Vonnegut and Bukowski because they're popular enough that, and they're accessible enough that a lot of young idealistic dildos mm-hmm. get into that and think that they themselves are profound. Mm-hmm. That does not take away from the inherent value of the work that those dudes did. And also... Hyper accessible high art is, in my opinion, what all art should strive to be. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's kind of like that fucking what's that video game where it's like everybody's like made of jello and they're like running around and like pushing each other off. Like it's a new it's a new game. It's got a funny name like a. It's like named after a song or something. More than a feeling. No, that's not the game. But somebody out there right now is screaming. And then he kissed me. Um, is screaming at me right now because that. But it's just like these little dudes running around, and you're like one guy, and it's like a kind of a battle royale situation. You like have to be the last one, and it is high art because it is complicated to make that shit and it is also something that like a six-year-old could look at Mm -hmm. and be like this fucking rules and and it does it it rules like that's that's what i think we're going for here man on this earth and i feel like art that's like by nature uh divisive or um well no divisive is fine um Exclusionatory is that a word? Uh, is lame. It's lame. So, if I'm not, I'm not even motherfucking what you're saying, Tim. Oh, I know that. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that if there's a fucking issue with Blake fucking getting too high in his own fucking gas chamber 
And then uh, fucking start talking about Kerouac. It's because Kerouac is like a thousand times more accessible and a man of the people than Blake has ever been. Mm. Um, and he's missing that point of it. Mm-hmm. You know, which is the exact point that I think you're making as well, just kind of in a different way, which is like, uh, everyone's into Kerouac, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like, yeah, because that's that's what he did, like it or not. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but then that's not what you're doing, man. Yeah. Like, you're you're getting into like this exclusion. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I, you, you get where I'm going. The I I I do. I think that um, you know, the I have uh, you know, a few like actual like people that I've interacted with, not just like the straw man who uh I don't know, it's like they discover Kerouac and then suddenly just being in writing classes with those types or being at college parties with those types made me want to scream. Um, but <laughs> I'm 34 years old. I'm not in college. Right. And it's not exactly to Kerouac's fault that those people are assholes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that, uh, that I think is, is kind of interesting is like Blake as a lyricist, I think is a, pretty important one for the kind of brand of punk rock that follows and i guess do you when you think about like jawbreaker as an influence where does blake's lyricism rank i guess for you like personally and then maybe more in like punk rock at large or is it, you know, you think about the song structure, you think about Chris's bass playing. I'm the bass player. Um, oh, yeah, 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 sorry. But uh, um, it's an interesting question. There was a time... <sighs> Blake's very important. Um there's no two ways about it. He's very important to me personally. Um, very important to the whole evolution of things. But um, his, the way I see it was that this is going to be so hard to explain. I'm going to try to do my best. Um, is that what he did was such a unique thing in aggressive punk rock mm-hmm. at the time that the bands that I think that really it, and it wasn't just him I mean it was you know Jason Bebout and Sam I Am mm-hmm. was like pretty concurrent there um, even 15 was well they're like a sort of a different page but the Crimpshunt stuff um well, it was more like in the Operation Ivy category, I guess. So, never mind. I leave that aside. But I'll just say, what he did was he took a very aggressive voice and tried to be poetic, not intelligent. Like, that's Greg Graffin. Mm. 
from Bad Religion was like, we can be smart and still be punk and everybody go. Right, right. And, uh, and I mean, like, and, you know, that's funny because I was doing a Greg Graffin, but it sounded more like Jelly Biafra, and Jelly Biafra did the same thing. Uh-huh. We, we can be smart and, like, it doesn't even matter. Um, but, you know, Ian McKay with fucking, like, I can be smart and be outraged. And, you know, Jesse Michaels with I can be smart and be outraged in a kind of a different way. And also Jeff Ott in 15. Mm-hmm. All of these people occupied this sort of position at this time when punk rock was just old enough to start not being one thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And and I know that, like, the, the fucking Simple Minds were a punk band and so were, like, the B-52s and all that shit. The, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, but... Um, what Blake did was go like, I'm going to have this like voice that's almost like raspy to the point of unlistenability, but I'm still going to try to maintain melody with it. And then I'm going to have these songs that are aggressive, but I'm going to maintain a romanticism throughout them. Mm -hmm. Right. And what I think that did was create, a, like like I said earlier, like I can't see things unless they're put in front of me, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I can't extrapolate to the next thing. So all of a sudden, there was this was like a lily pad that you could be on. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I think for like the Alkaline Trio, and like for a lot of other bands that are like kind of like us, we heard that and then went, "Oh, I can do my own thing that's not this." Mm-hmm. But that comes from this perspective, which I didn't know was a possibility, Mm -hmm. you know? And so the influence was profound in the way that, like, the fish that walks out of the water on two feet had a profound influence on uh, the development of the iPhone, you know, Uh Um, (laughs) along the way, eventually, right? But, like... For me, it, which is funny because, like, we got saddled with Jawbreaker ripoff band, like, from day one. And mm-hmm. still, I think, well, not anymore, but, you know, have gotten it through the years pretty consistently. But I think that, like, it was sort of more like, thanks for the template, we're out. Yeah. And then here's... Uh, to deny the influence would be disingenuous at best and, like, downright just mean-spirited at worst. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they set the table for all this kind of stuff, like the Lawrence Arms kind of vibe mm-hmm. for sure. But that being said... It was not long before I was like, okay, this this kind of thing, but that's not the way my brain goes with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Not to say that, I mean, not to say the Jawbreaker's not a fucking great, important band, but I think that their great importance is in that like sort of primordial soup category. Yeah, and I think that if you're going to 
make any headway as a musician, you gotta like figure it out for yourself. Well, that's true too. And, um, but like, to use another example of a band that was a pretty early punk band, very smart, um, with a very unique point of view is no effects. Right. And the amount of bands that are just no effects, rip off bands. Yeah. Is in and of itself testament to the importance and influence of no effects. Mm -hmm. Right. With jawbreaker. I think it's a little different. I mean, I'm sure there are bands out there that just try to sound like jawbreaker. And I mean, like, you know, we all do like the shit that they sort of made available as far as that bag of tricks. So maybe I'm like giving me and like the whole scene that surrounds us too much credit. But like, you know, when they would put those fucking samples over the instrumental parts and stuff like that. Yeah. Like we do things of that nature all the time, but. We try to recreate them and make them unique mm-hmm. uh, to avoid copyright infringement, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, it's like, um, it's not like, it's not like it's not pervasive influence. So I guess I don't know what I'm saying here, Tim. Uh, <laughs> I get what you're saying. I wanted to ask you about that thing in particular though because that is such a freaking like calling card that they have of the samples over the instrumentals was that something that was happening i mean i guess it's like your perspective for this band is i was 12 years old and i walked into the record store so i think the like question of were a lot of bands doing that at that time maybe doesn't apply here but sam i am was Mm mm-hmm you know, which was the other band. I actually believe that the dude at Reckless told me, he's like, if you like Jawbreaker, you like Sam I Am. Or maybe I saw it in the liner notes because that used to be such an important thing. Mm-hmm. The bands that they thank. Oh, yeah. You, you'd go buy their records, right? Oh, yeah. But yeah, that was a bit of a thing. But Jawbreaker's the band that I can really really remember doing it the most i mean there's a band called um bitch magnet that mm. was um it was suyon park from um seam uh no Michigan. um he was uh But I don't know. Like, okay, um, God, there's this other band that he was in after that that was like a little more popular. You're saying Seam is the name of the band? Seam, S E A M. But that that might not be right. Just you should look up Su Young Park. Su Young Park. Found him. Okay. Su Young Park. Let's start this over again. It'll be easier to edit. There's, just start with there was a band called 
Bitch Magnet. There's a, there was a band called Bitch Magnet. Um, and the dude, Soo Young Park, who would go on to be in... Um, um, Seam. In Seam. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. That's correct. Good. Um, for those of you out there, we had to start this over because I was so confused about this whole thing. But I said Seam originally, goddammit. Um and well, I, I I tried to no, search the name first, and I got somebody's grad uh, thesis. Yeah. Well, so also Mac McGoggin but, from Superchunk was in uh, Seam for two years. Just huh. putting that in there. You like Superchunk? Love him. Yeah, me too. My second favorite band with a McCoggin in it. Um, but. Uh, Bitch Magnet was another band. Actually, the next band that I saw at Reckless, mm-hmm. and the I don't know how to exactly describe what they sound like. They had this fucking song called something like Goat Lord Mountain God, some shit like that. That was just like so heavy and fucking awesome mm-hmm. goat legged country god goat legged country god maybe uh-huh. um and is that right i'm checking it. i'm checking i I'm, i was looking through those seam uh covers and realizing that i've that i had a phase with that band and completely forgot about it but yeah, goat legged country god, god yeah Damn, girl, I haven't thought about that shit in 30 years, and here I am. <laughs> With your Booyah. best friend, yeah. Tim. So, that's goddamn right. And um, so, I saw them play at Reckless also. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring this up is because Bitch Magnet did this thing. So, the name's a bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, so, Young Park was a very... Mm-hmm. Slight and understated uh, Korean man. Uh, and then he was surrounded by these just like shredders in, in Bitch Magnet. Mm-hmm. But his his delivery was just talking. Mm. Right? So it would just be like... And he'd just be like... I don't think there's much to be said for this grand plan about ours. Uh-huh. You know, like... And that was the way... That the band sounded. Mm-hmm. It was that sample idea yeah. of what we're talking about with Jawbreaker. And and they again, they were probably the next show that was booked at Reckless, and which is why I went and saw them. Um mm-hmm. because I was so taken with uh the Jawbreaker show. And when I by that time I gone over to Chris's house and been like, yo, dude, I saw this band and then I played it for him and he was like, um, this is for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right, I know. Okay, now there's another band called Bitch Magnet coming. And so he was at the Bitch Magnet show too. Mm-hmm. And we both, uh, I think, gave Bitch Magnet a lot of um, undue praise. I mean, they're okay. It's It's sure. sort of... From what I remember, is a little bit hard to listen to um, casually, mm-hmm. you know. But I guess my my long winded point is that like 
that was a thing. Like, sort of like the casual conversation over, like, sort of cascading, crashing guitars mm-hmm. was not invented by Jawbreaker. I cannot think off the top of my head over anybody else who brought it into the forefront of what they did quite so um, obviously. I mean, until you get into, like, Alkaline Trio, Lawrence Arms, bands that obviously got it from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. So. What's your favorite uh, Jawbreaker sample? Uh, I really like the one in Fine Day. Yeah. Um, on this record. Just one of the guys goes, Fine Day. <laughs> yeah. It's really beautiful. It's just like so fucked up and weird. And it reminds me of, it's got all those beeps in it and shit. Mm-hmm. Fine day. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on there. If it's like a hospital or an answering machine or what is happening, but that's pretty cool. Um, um, I believe there's one in I-5 that I really like a lot. Mm-hmm. But, like, my brain is just telling me that, and I can't think of it. Yeah, I th- there is a good one in I-5 at the end. Which, that song is goofy. I understand why they left it off the record. It was a huge favorite to me mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, I was thinking, Tim, we don't... You know, this, while Want does absolutely command this much time in this particular podcast, uh-huh. um, I'm looking through this. What are the good songs on this record? Uh, See Through Skin's fine. Mm-hmm. Fine Day, pretty great. Mm-hmm. Incomplete. Not even sure which one that is. Uh, is that okay, Honor yeah. Your Allegiances? Maybe um no that's busy. Imaginary war. I like imaginary eh. war a lot. I think it's fine. Busy's great. Softcore is great. Mm-hmm. Driven's great. Mm-hmm. Um, first half of the or first like few songs wounded. off that second side. Holy shit, dude! Down. Mm-hmm. Gutless. Drone. Dude. Mm-hmm. Drone. The. Most influential Jawbreaker song to me is Drone. Interesting. Like, the fucking end of that where he goes, like, I mean, it's just, it builds the whole time, which is, like, so classic, like, no means no, just like, mm-hmm. go ahead, burn, mm-hmm. what you can't hide, you know, and and, and then, we recount the dead to make one now. Got it out of hands. Uh, but it still like doesn't like let go. Mm-hmm. But then at the end it was like <laughs> And then it's like Drone 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 Fact fictional partner bit them Come on When he says come on instead of drone mm-hmm. but in the exact same mm-hmm. way Everything I do is based on that. <laughs> it is, to me, the most profoundly awesome 
piece of lyricism. And I know it sounds stupid and simple, mm-hmm. but like, I was like, that's what being cool is. Right there. Wow. Come on! Round! <laughs> like, it's just like, fuck. Yeah. There is no, there's no cooler part in a song. I mean, it's just like, it, the whole song is kind of just okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but that shit is, first of all, screaming drone is dope. Yeah, and then, especially at and that then time, ha- too. Because that, that word uh, kind of changed meanings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's coming after down. It's coming after gutless. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which are fucking good songs. You know, and then I guess on here, Lawn comes next, and then Crane, then an I-5, but... I think that's all to me, bonus tracks at that point. That's that's from the i5 7 inch. Yeah. Um, but so drone to me is the last song, mm-hmm. and I mean, that is, dude, saying "come on" and making it rhyme with drone <laughs> because it's cooler to do it. That is art, man. Like, that's, like, that's why you've got this platform, you know? Punk rock, it's like, yeah, are you are you calling people to action? Uh-huh. Come on! Drone! It's like, fuck, yes! It's so dope. I'm only, I think I'm only getting a little bit of, like, why it's so great to you. Um. Okay, put it this way: mm-hmm. you thought he said drone every single time until just now. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> he fucking says, "Come on," which is like, I mean, you you've seen in like Lawrence Arm songs over and over again, where it's like, "Come on, come on," you you know, mm-hmm. like I like. It's just so awesome to, like, call people in and, like, bring in, like, the frenzied excitement in, like, a non-didactic way. Mm-hmm. Like, telling people to dance, to me, is, like, get fucked. You know? Like, mm-hmm. that that's not a cool, like, sort of punk rock uh, trope. But come on is like, and to be honest, maybe it's like exclusively because of this song that I feel this way, you know, but it's like, like when I hear that shit or it's like when, when, um, fucking Greg Graffin is like, sing or like, you know, whatever the fuck. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like. I'm really into that stuff. I'm really into, oh, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, all that. that's, I stole that from fucking Tim Casher. He did it once, and that, now it's mine forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's one one time in, um. Speaking of drone. Oh, that's, that's my, um, 
It's my team of gardeners. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know what's going on out there. Uh, Live from Four Seasons Landscaping. Hello. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, Tim Catcher, it, it one song in, um, so it's Sink to the Beat. Is that the song? Forever. One time he did that, and I was like, well, I'll be stealing that, and that will be my thing from now on. Uh, And now, guess what? Other term. Hmm. (laughs) Mine. (laughs) (laughs) But, But, yeah, Busy's a great song. Down's a great song. Gutless is a great song. I mean, the fucking, the octave part of Gutless... Yeah. Like, it's. It, like. And I also love the. You know, okay, so here's the thing about this record that I think gets overlooked uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you're laughing at me because I'm getting animated, but it's just because I'm talking about something no, I, I like. I think you're so um, cute. <laughs> but the one thing I'd like about this record so much is that it really is Adam Thaler writes the choruses on this record with the drums. The drums are the chorus parts, with a few notable exceptions. Mm-hmm. Want is a notable exception. But like if you get to a song like Gutless and it's just like I would like to help you, but I'm you know, uh-huh. like, and that becomes the chorus, you know, or like, uh, or in like Imaginary War, is, you know, is that it, the one? Like, every, yeah, like every time it goes through, like, uh, no, yeah, what? Unseen powers, unseen ways, hands clutch of thoughts, of fearless. Yeah, that's Imaginary War, right? And it's like, he is the one that's like doing the refrain uh-huh. in every single song. And it's it's very, very unusual. And what it does is with um, Chris doing these sort of like very dramatic bass lines, yeah. like which are like obvious, really apparent in like I-5 in which he's doing like a strumming thing. Mm-hmm. And then in want obviously even in busy he's doing something like pretty pretty movie mm-hmm. um and um but what that does is is like if adam is holding down that sort of refrain it gives blake the freedom to not do that with the lyrics with the music with the guitar you know, yeah. because it like still locks in like that. And that I think is like the really unsung genius of this record is that it completely like turns the idea of like what a refrain is kind of on its head. Mm-hmm. And uh, is this another one of those things that you're not following? No, no. This, oh, come on. Don't. <laughs> no, I think that that's actually, man, that is about as good of an insight as I've heard uh, about Jawbreaker, to tell you the truth, because I feel like there's um, there's just a 
subtlety, like to the point of, uh, fuck, what's that thing where you like, uh, you listen to, you make kids like listen to things in their sleep and then they, uh, what's the fucking word for that? Uh, I mean, I think you're thinking osmosis, but that's not what osmosis is. Um, subliminal? Subliminal. Sublime. Come on, man. Fucking 40 ounces to freedom. Um, yeah, the, the idea that, like, I mean, for most music listeners, what are they hearing first? They're hearing, like, guitar, vocals, with Adam playing bass the way that he, or with Chris playing bass the way that he does, you're paying attention to the bass. Then you have the, the drums actually, like, you know, giving you a refrain, the memorable part, the thing that sticks into your head. That's, that's something that most people aren't noticing. I don't think I ever noticed it. But if you listen to this record, what you will notice next time you do is that the parts that you are there for Uh are the drum parts. Like, you're doing, like, the hand drum motions when you listen to Unfun. Um, Mm -hmm. Few exceptions, you know, like, uh, Want is a great exception. Mm -hmm. But, like, um, for the most part, man, it's really – Gutless is actually another exception. Um, Busy a little bit too. You saw it again. You saw it again. That's not the chorus though. Breaking down. Mm -hmm. But but you see, but that's the thing is like I I I don't know anything about how like that entire scene that like East Bay, um, Gilman scene that I'm such a huge product of being a fan of uh, worked. But there was a thing where people didn't have choruses. You know, we've talked about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's like for every like rancid or op ivy that had like the best choruses, everybody doesn't get to be in a band with Tim Armstrong who can write the best choruses. uh, No problem. (laughs) Right. And they really did eschew choruses a lot of the time. And, for 15, I again, I am totally speculating here. I don't know. But for 15, it sounds to me like they were much more interested in a narrative than anything that could like be construed as like a commercial endeavor that would uh, cheapen the message. Uh-huh. Um, and with Jawbreaker, I feel like it was just a freedom afforded by the way that Adam played the drums. Mm-hmm. Like, there didn't need to be these choruses in there. I mean, even what's besides Want, what's the most chorusy song? It's Fine Day. Yeah, we're busy. Two Mm -hmm. choruses and then a humongous meandering outro. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, it's it's just... I mean, it's, it's a product of the times. It's like when... When there started to be people that wanted to play indie rock that also liked punk mm-hmm. and like didn't want it to sound like the fucking Blitzkrieg Bop or whatever, you know, like <clears throat> yeah, wanted to be like <laughs> I'd like to plug uh, the 
wedding present in to an electric socket and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. kind of shit. So I like to fucking turn the psychedelic furs up to 12, you know? Yeah. So that, that kind of shit was definitely going on at that time, but it's still it's very, very cool. What he did with the drums on this album. Mm. So let's, let's wrap things up here. Unfun. Is it your favorite jawbreaker record? That's a great question because I, um, I heard Dear You for the first time mm-hmm. in Vinny Fiorello of Lesson Jake's house when he was on Capitol with Jawbreaker. Mm. And he played it for me and he goes, Know what this is? And I was like, Nope. And he goes, it's a New Jawbreaker. And I practically wept. I was so bummed. Yeah. Uh, it just sounded so wrong to me. But then I came around to it, like I think everybody did. And I think Chris actually was the one who was like, some good songs on this fucking record. And kind of like got me to listen to it again. Mm-hmm. And um, so for a while I would have said that I thought that was the best record. But I really only think that there's like... I think Bad Scene, Everyone's Fault is a really great song. And I like Jet Black a lot. Jet Black, yeah. And I think that's it. Really? I don't think I like any other songs on that record at all. Um, There's none on that record that I feel like I need to hear um, too much. So... It was one that's like really had a big roller coaster in my life. Mm-hmm. The um, twenty four hour revenge therapy, um, obviously. I mean, I thought Chesterfield King when I heard it was like the most beautiful thing. I thought Boat was profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Do You Still Hate Me was unbelievable. Um, I thought Ache was actually cool. Ache is my favorite Jawbreaker song. Okay, then we'll just leave it at that. And, um, but like, I really, really was very into that record. Mm -hmm. And now I think it is just so like dripping with cheese. Yeah. It's, it's just so too much for me. I like, there's not, and it sounds like fucking shit. Terrible. People are like, Steve Albini's a great engineer. I'm like, really? Put out 24-hour revenge therapy in your car, roll down one window, and tell me you can hear anything except for the fucking snare drum. Go ahead. <laughs> you know? I don't it's... know why that record sounds so bad. I just don't get it. I do, because Steve Albini did it, and he's not the kind of guy that gives a shit about stuff unless it's, like, very specific. Um, yeah, but this we talked about this way back in the day. Sea Monsters by The Wedding Present. Why doesn't 24 Hour sound exactly like Sea Monsters? Oh, why doesn't it sound like 16 Stone by Bush? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of fucking places you can look. Um, but... 
I mean, you've seen that fucking footage from the documentary where he's like, this is the amp I wanted Blake to play through. And it's like a, like a three-inch little Marshall fucking fake half stack and stuff. He told me he only like, did that for the, like, octave solos. And I was like, doesn't excuse it. And he was like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? Well, whatever, man. <laughs> I'm not trying to really talk shit about Steve Albini. He's he's had a really important part in the yeah. Chicago sound, um, for sure. And like, I love Big Black. I think great band, and I love and admire Shellac as well. Mm. Um, and he's made some great records. But I think there's a lot of blind loyalty to Steve Albini out there that willfully ignores that sometimes he just doesn't give a shit and really is like. No, I just really don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, and if this album is not evidence of that, I would be very surprised because it sounds terrible. And Bivouac also sounds terrible, but it's got like that fucking middle oh. section that's so tough mm-hmm. with like Donatello mm-hmm. and um, uh, Parabola. Dude, Parabola might Parabola be my favorite jawbreaker song. Fucking track. Holy shit. We, we were watching with the, their first show. Uh, back, I mean, that we could see. You know, obviously they did some warm-up shows in California. But me and Chris were watching them on that Riot Fest. And I was like, dude, you know what I'd like it if they played right now? Parabola. Are they going to play it? No. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, no! (laughs) And it was... So awesome. Uh, I've never been so happy to eat my words. You Mm -hmm. know, like, um, but, because I was talking about how they were going to play, like, some safe set. and Just, like, it was going to be, like, Boat, uh, Fireman, Do You Still Hate Me, Close With Want. And I don't even think they played Want. Yeah. Uh, But, anyway... That album has got some, again, Donatello, the one right next to Donatello, like a secret. That song is fucking dope. And Parabola are insane off of um, Bivouac. Mm -hmm. Bivouac's a cool record because uh, if you're like me, you didn't know that it had a whole different sequence until they re-released the LP. Because I had the CD, and I was like, "What? The, this record is so all over the place. Why?" And it's because they Ooh. smashed uh, that and the Chesterfield King EP together. So when I got the LP, I was like, "Oh shit! This is only nine songs. Oh shit! Chesterfield King is the seventh song." The Chesterfield King is on Twenty Four Hour Minister. No, it's on Bivouac. Uh, it's Boat on fucking. Man, I don't know shit. Well, hey, you know what I do know, Brennan, is that uh, this was the first episode of our podcast 2.0, and goddamn, that was some fun that we just had. I had a great time. Um, I would, I would like to say, oh, right, yeah, you're right, yeah. Chesterfield King is on bivouac, and Chesterfield King, for what it's worth, uh. A little annoying. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's all. I come um, here and felt the chill of fall. 
I get it. Ooh. A fall. It's like there was a place for Chesterfield King until John Sampson started writing songs, Mm. at which point, like, having, like, twee little minutia observations about, like, your uh, heartache was like, eh, leave it to this guy, please. <laughs> you know, like that's sweat and which, truth right there. That is, I mean, sweat and truth. it's so goddamn true. Mm. It, I, like, I really do think that until the first Weaker Than's album came out, I was like, Chesterfield King, great song, one of the best love songs I've ever heard. One Weaker Than song into knowing what the, who the Weaker Than's were, I was like, what a silly song. <laughs> Um, yeah, and to to close, Tim, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Unfun is the best Jawbreaker album. As much as that makes me an old man, um, funny thing, hmm. not only does my taste in Jawbreaker albums uh, suggest that, so does my birth certificate. So, um, I'm happy, I'm happy to own it, but yeah, I, I I'm not usually... One for that kind of shit, that like firstism shit. Mm-hmm. But in this particular case, yeah, I, I I love this album. It's and they wouldn't even play busy. They were already done playing busy by the time they got to Chicago before the day before the record came uh-huh. out. Somebody was there and asked for busy, and they wouldn't play it. <laughs> I fucking love that move. It's, I mean, it's just the, just the preternatural asshole sensibility that would come to dominate what that band was perceived as Mm -hmm. forever, you know, um, whether or not I agree, which, but, uh, you know, like it, it, it just, it dominated their persona, didn't it? Like where it was like, oh, jawbreaker. They're assholes, mm-hmm. right? And even when they got back together, it's like, oh, those assholes are getting back together? How can those assholes put up with the other assholes in that asshole band? Some of the drummers seems really nice, <laughs> you know? But, <laughs> like, and I, I don't have any idea if that's true. Um, I, I don't know any of those guys at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam might be the worst shithead of the three of them. I don't fucking know, but... um. What I do know is that they've made no, um, they've no made no bones about cultivating that persona. Mm-hmm. You totally. Know? So, um, in closing, yep, unfun, great record. That's all. Brennan, w- yes. would you like to hear the four choices that our Hoagies and Heroes over on Patreon.com slash Better Sandwich are going to be voting on for what we talk about next week. I would love to hear this. All right. We got Operation Ivy's Energy. Pick it up. No means no. Wrong. Who? (laughs) 15's Buzz. And the minor threat discography.
<laughs> Which one will it be? Only one way to help determine that outcome, and that's by going to patreon.com slash better sandwich and pledging. We will be back next week to talk about the winner, and we look forward to it. We will see you then. Thank you, friends. Peace.